You're listening to the Seminary of Hard Knocks podcast, episode nine, and I think you'd make a great volunteer for our ministry. Welcome to the Seminary of Hard Knocks, a podcast designed to help you lead with confidence and clarity. These are practical solutions for your ministry that you probably didn't learn in seminary. Now let's join your host, Seth Muse, who turns into a kid if you hand him a stick. Hey everybody, welcome to the Seminary of Hard Knocks podcast. I'm Seth, and thank you for being here with me one more week. Uh, Today, I've got a great conversation with an old friend of mine that I've worked with on a church staff before named Michael Wallace. Michael and I have been around the bend a little bit in student ministry together, and we have an incredible conversation about how to recruit and train and vet and even dismiss volunteers. I know every ministry runs on volunteers. Everyone uses volunteers to get things done. And, you know, if your ministry struggles with volunteers, your ministry struggles. That's just the way of the world today, unless you're small enough that you yourself can do everything yourself. But even if you can do that, it, it will burn you out. So you want to invest in volunteers. So how do you do that? I see this question a lot. Today in the show notes, if you want to check those out, we got a couple links to where you can find Michael. It'll be sethmuse.com slash episode 09. That's all connected, episode 09. And you can find the show notes of how to get to his podcast, the Creative Student Ministry Podcast. And uh, if you're in student ministry especially, or you just run volunteers, let me tell you, this guy is a, he's a guy that just understands strategy. He is, uh, he understands people and how they fit together. And uh, we have an incredible conversation that I can't wait for you to listen to. So I'll shut up and let's get to this conversation I had with Michael Wallace. Well, hey, everybody, it's Seth, and I'm here with my guest, Michael Wallace. And Michael is a good friend of mine. We hadn't seen each other in a while, so who knows where this is going to go. We may get off the rails here, but Michael and I have known each other for a while and worked together in, in a in a. Uh, one church, I wouldn't say several churches, but a couple churches, one church, actually. And uh, Michael, thanks for coming on the on the podcast, man. See, I want to be really quiet and make it really awkward, uh, like I'm not actually there. Congratulations. <laughs> I have to clip that out. Way to go. I was like, oh, man, he already, I already dropped the call. <laughs> I, I thought of that while you were talking. I was like, oh, if I just don't say anything, I wonder what he'll say. Gosh. And that was super awkward. <laughs> Sorry. Super awkward. Quiet. This just killed this whole podcast. <laughs> Already, <laughs> I was trying to think of something funny to say, and I couldn't think of anything. And I thought I'll just not say anything, and and that'll be when you start again. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I knew you were gonna. If there's a joke, I know you're gonna go for it. So I, I'm gonna try not to do that again. I, that was my one. I got that out, out of my system. Well, all right, everybody, you can tell what this is gonna be like. So let's get going. <laughs> Michael, uh, tell us who you are, where you're from, where you're working right now, what you're into. Just give us a snapshot of who is Michael Wallace. Snapshot of Michael Wallace. Well, my name is Michael Wallace. We'll start with that. Uh, married to Holly Wallace. Uh, we share a last name, uh, as well as a home with three kids. Uh, we have a son who is eight years old. His name is Colt. We have a daughter. Emery is six, and Olivia is one. And uh, it's been a wonderful ride. Being a parent is crazy. Uh, we live in North Carolina, um, which is actually where Holly and I grew up. We Just to give you the, the Reader's Digest, ver- do people still do Reader's Digest? I don't know. What is that, Grandpa? I don't think that's a thing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> tell you about uh, how phones used to work before the internet. And, is it a blog? Um, is it a blog now? <laughs> yes, Reader's Digest is a blog. It's a Zanga um, site. Everyone go to Zanga. <laughs> it is a Zanga. Wow. Okay, now you sound older than me. Um, 
Anyways, uh, we met in the first grade, uh, and I tricked her uh, 11 years later into falling in love with me. Um, and, uh, and then we, uh, we've been married ever since. Um, we moved to uh, Dallas to go to seminary, and I spent five and a half years there, and that's where I got the chance to meet you, Seth. And, yeah, best days uh, of your life, man. It was the greatest thing. I mean, marrying Holly is like second to that. That's um, true. That's true. She's listening. Yes, and meeting Jesus is in there somewhere, she and needs my to know kids where she somewhere, and the you know, yeah. So um, <laughs> we were in Dallas for about five and a half years, uh, and then we moved to Tennessee. Uh, we were in Knoxville for about three and a half years. We just traded shades of orange. We went from Texas orange to Tennessee orange, um, and then we then we got smart and moved back to North Carolina, where uh, the best color of blue is uh, go go heels. Uh. <laughs> uh, I knew you were going to bring a sports thing into it's it. It's always sports. I have to, you know, offset all the Star Wars stuff that you would bring to it. So yeah, well, Star Wars is pretty universal. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, let's get serious. We work together at a pretty large church in North Dallas area, and uh, I came on staff there. And actually, when I, I remember when I was interviewing, I came in, and I thought you were the boss. At the, when I first met you and then you introduced me to the boss and I was like, Oh, this is the, okay. So I've been like brown nosing the wrong guy it this was whole awesome. time. And you just sat there and took it, man. It you was were just great. so happy. <laughs> that never happened to me. So I was, I wasn't going to correct you. Yeah, man. That first night was crazy. I came in to help out and just volunteer. And I think what actually got me the job w- with you guys was I was wearing these corduroy pants and I went up on this ladder, and when I came down, they just ripped in the crotch. <laughs> and it was like this enormous gaping hole down the leg of my And so my how, pants. Did that, how did that get you the job? Because I went into the closet, <laughs> and I used gaff tape, and I taped it back up. <laughs> gaff tape fixes pants and everything else. Gaff yes. tape fixes all problems in yeah, the church actually, world. I remember coming, when the first time I met you, it was that you were, you were leading worship at a church startup. Oh, and that's right. There were it was like in a, a YMCA classroom or something, and there were like fifteen people there, and you were leading worship, and you did it passionately. And I was like, okay, if this guy can lead worship passionately with fifteen people, he can probably handle sixth graders. Yeah, truly, what was going on? <laughs> I was having uh, stomach problems. It just came off as passionate. <laughs> well, whatever it takes. You make those face, same kinds of faces. When you have stomach both. problems, you should try gaff tape. Yeah, gaff tape does work for everything. Well, <laughs> we worked together for several years in youth ministry in the junior high department, if anybody can tell. We have that kind of rapport. Yes. Um, but a large part of our job in the in the mega church kind of world was we, we had to deal with volunteers quite a bit. Yes. I mean, we recruited and actually, your wife was really the recruiter when we first came on. It was only later we really we had to start recruiting ourselves. But she, I mean, honestly, I kind of want to. I was kind of thinking, should I ask Holly to come on too? Because you she should have, because it would have been a lot the, less awkward. Talking about the recruiting, uh, she, she has a lot more information. She's much better at it than I am. Man, but. it was like every week she's got like five new volunteers. I'm like, how are you doing this? I, I'm she's wondering. hot. She's really hot. There's <laughs> blackmail. I don't know. <laughs> she gets to know people and like squeezes them. Um, so anyway, it was she was great at recruiting. But you and I both had to get to a point where we recruited and we trained and we we had to vet them. Now I know that our admin staff vetted a lot, but many of our listeners, they, they have to do that kind of stuff, or they may have to handle it and hand it to the right person to vet it, you know, do background checks, that kind of stuff. And then we've all, I think we've both been through a lot where we've had to actually ask volunteers to step away from mm-hmm. the ministry. And so I want to get into some of that today because a lot of our listeners and, and on Facebook and other places, I hear them 
questioning a lot about how do you train volunteers? How do you recruit volunteers? How do you get these people going in the same direction? How do you then, if something goes wrong, how do you fix that? So today I want to focus on that. You know, how do you recruit and train? So why is recruiting so tough? Why do you think it's a difficult thing? Well, I think recruiting is is difficult. Um, on paper, it kind of feels like cold calling, right? Like you, you, you as the as the ministry leader, as the pastor, you, you feel like I have this gaping need. We need humans here because I can't do all this on my own. And unless someone comes up comes up and uh, offers to help. It's just like, okay, I have to just go grab, grab somebody and convince them. And there's this enormous pressure, pressure on every single conversation. It feels like cold calling. Um, and, as, you know, as the leader, we focus on the needs that we have. And with our laser focus there, I think it's difficult to process who we could approach to fill those roles. It's, it's also really easy. I learned uh, early on that I was saying no for people. Um, I would say uh, they they probably wouldn't want to do this, or I'm too nervous to go up and talk to this person. Um, and I would say no on their behalf without without ever even asking them. And that mentally makes it really difficult to to recruit when you think I have to fill these roles, and these people are probably going to say no. And it just makes it really difficult to um, to approach people like that. Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, the saying no for somebody else. I wonder how many times in any other volunteer position you know, church leaders do that and they go, well, they probably wouldn't want to. And it's kind of like that friend that's, that you, you hear like all your friends got together and hung out one night and you're like, wait, you didn't call me or ask me. And then they were like, oh, well, we didn't think you'd want to come. <laughs> you know, like, well, that's right. not an excuse. Come on. I don't yeah, think that's at least works. ask. You know? <laughs> so it's kind of, yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, and, and when you're looking for a volunteer, you know, what kind of things just stand out to you that make you think, and I know our context has been student ministry, but what kind sure. of kinds of things would you look for that you would say, hmm, maybe I should ask them, maybe I should talk to them about it? Well, specifically in student ministry, you know, you, you, you definitely want to uh, identify people that are easy to talk to. Um, just, just in the, in the sense of students are difficult to talk to sometimes, uh, they, at the very least, they sometimes present themselves as difficult to talk to. Amen. Um, they, they, and sometimes they use that as an excuse. Uh, just don't talk to me. Um, I think that, that looking for people who, one, they love the church, um, and two, they love people. Uh, and, and there's not really a lot of qualifications outside of that. And when I first got into ministry, obviously I was young and I, uh, I, I kind of felt this, you know, I'm, I'm young, I'm kind of close to their age, I'm kind of cool, so I'm a good gauge of what a volunteer should be. And there have been so many, so many examples uh, over the last few 10, 12 years that prove the exact opposite of that. I mean, I've got volunteers, I've had volunteers over the years who are in their 60s and 70s that are, have more rapport, more connection uh, with students. Um, it has nothing to do with uh, being a certain age or having a certain, you know, rapport with students just because, oh, yeah, we're close to the same age. It has nothing to do with it. It's really just about caring. It's, do you love the church and do you love people? And you can do ministry. With yeah. That. And actually that brings to mind a, a volunteer. I probably think you're, you're talking about, um, you want to say it at the same time. W- yeah. One, two, one, two three, Burton, Burton Hill. Yes. <laughs> Burton. Dude. Absolutely. Connections. Okay. <laughs> Burton was a guy who was what in his sixties when he was volunteering uh, he junior started high? in the sixties and with, with, uh, with junior high. Yeah. And that guy was like the Pied Piper of students, he, man. He could command a small group and not in a forceful way, but just in a I've never seen seventh graders just glued into another person talking. And if you had not met Burton, you just saw him walking in the street, you'd be like, 
that that guy's not going to be a good connection with junior high guys. But yeah, his heart was just in it, and it was awesome to see. Well, it's funny in the textbook for a lot of my upbringing in college for student ministry. Uh, the Purpose Driven Youth Ministry was part of it. And Doug Fields talked a lot about a volunteer he had that was in his 80s that was yep. just like that, uh, you know, which kind of made me go, okay, I've never seen that. And then I get to where we were and I see Burton, you know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy, yeah. he's that. He's that. That's who that is. That's great. Yep. Yeah. So I think that's a, a great point is that you need somebody that just loves people and, and is patient with them, you know, and can just command a conversation. Um, so how, let's talk about methods for recruiting. Like what are some of the ways that you found some good, uh, feedback or good, uh, not feedback, that's not the right word, but good, uh, ROI, some good return on your investments and how you've, sure. you know, connect collected volunteers over the years. How do you yeah. get them in there? Um, I'd probably say the two best things have very little to do with, uh, direct recruiting, strangely. Um, I've, I've tried a lot of different things over the years of how to best approach the conversation, how to best advertise. Um, but the two best things that I, I think I've seen happen, uh, that, that can, that lead to recruiting is to love volunteers. Well, well, the one, the ones that you have love them well, treat them well, appreciate the snot out of them, make sure they know how valuable they are. And if your volunteers feel loved, they're going to speak highly of the ministry everywhere they go. Um, it's, it's not going to be a burden that they have to go fulfill their role. It's going to be a joy. And when something's a joy, you talk about it all the time. Um, mm-hmm. Much like right now, I'm a Cubs fan. And this is a good – I'm bringing sports back in again. This is a good time to be a Cubs fan. <sighs> I, I talk about it all the time. We're actually in the, in the playoffs and had the best record in baseball, and I'm talking about it a lot because it's bringing me joy. Um, so the more joy your volunteers experience within your ministry, I think the more they're going to talk about it. And that's the second thing is I, as the ministry leader, am very rarely the best person to do the recruiting because I am not filling a volunteer role. Mm-hmm. I have had so many volunteers over the years who they are the best recruitment tool that we have. Because we can say, hey, we love you. You do a great job with this. You love this. And you know people like you. Who do you know that would also benefit and enjoy and make a difference and have an impact in this ministry that we don't know? And then, hey, bring them to us, almost like a network meeting um, where you just say, hey, you, you start the introduction and we'll help get them plugged in because you experienced this and you love this and you want to see other people grow in it. Yeah. Um, so those are the two things that I've done the most. And, and when you do that, how often do you put that in front of your leaders to go, hey, this is your, this is kind of your role. Go get some people, go volunteer, go be the billboard. I mean, how, how often do you kind of, and I, don't, I know you wouldn't say it that way, but how often do you sure. push that to your leaders that you already have? Well, I, the, the natural tendency, I think, is to, is to only do that when you have a need. Um, when you go, hey, guys, we have uh, two small group leader roles. If we don't have them filled, then we're in trouble. And that's the timing that you go with. Um, but I've seen more success in in talking about it all the time. I mean, just fit it into your routine conversations, fit it into your follow-up evaluations with small group leaders, with volunteers. Um, the more you talk about it with them, the more natural it will feel for them to talk about it with other people. Um, and then you're, you're able to um, to fill those roles out of vision direction, not need direction. It's not, oh, we have to have somebody who's still breathing in the church. Okay, great. You, you get to be, work here now. Good job. You stayed alive and you get to volunteer. That's not, <laughs> that's not, a, good, that's not a good way to, to get people plugged in. But if you're talking about the vision and you're talking about it a lot and you connect what they do as ambassadors for your ministry with the vision, 
then they'll have those conversations. And you may not know that you have a need coming up, but you have volunteers coming in. Because often, um, you know, having a need and, and getting a volunteer, there's a gap there uh, in, in getting it done. So if you have a need and the same day you find someone who can fulfill that need, there's still time that has to happen. Have conversations and background checks and all that kind of stuff has to take place before they're ready to fulfill the need. So if you get that done ahead of time and you have your volunteers kind of always on the lookout, then you're ready when those needs uh, present themselves. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I, it's a lot of times I think that ministries are very reactionary like that, like, uh-oh, we're about to need somebody. Let's go yep. put on the full court press and do the high pit, high pressure sales pitch, and let's get some people in here because we're about to have some problems. And I think what you're saying is, man, just you got to be already prepared for that. That is part yep. of your preparatory work and not your reactionary work uh, in ministry. That's great. Uh, speaking, you mentioned something about vetting um, volunteers, and I know this is a really creeper-filled world we live in. <laughs> um, yes, it is. You know, everyone's really afraid of especially when it comes to students and kids. Now, in other places, too, I mean, like, you don't want, like, a sex offender on your worship team, that kind of thing. So uh, it just, it's hard to do that. It's hard to justify that, and, and your your ministry could be crippled because of it. Um, so we want to make sure we're checking our, our backgrounds on our volunteers well. So tell me, in what's your process for checking out a volunteer? Like, how do you know enough to say this person is good to go? Sure. Um, well, the first thing you, you know, I, I do is is pray. I mean, there's you can do all the background checking in the world, um, and people uh, can still turn out to be, as you said, creeps or um, someone who's never done something you know negative in their life suddenly does something. And there's there's not a background check that's going to prevent crazy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you can maybe get a heads up that it's coming, uh, but also maybe not. So the first thing I do is pray. I say, you know what, God, we, we, we know we, go, we will have needs or we already have this need. Please bring us the right person. And um, I, I always start with that. I think that's the, the, you know, outside of the things that we're tangibly able to control and, and, and do in our lives, that, I mean, that's the top thing. That's more than, you know, it goes farther than anything else we could do, um, is to, is to pray for, pray about it. Um, and then, you know, when you, when you find that person or you have the opportunity to, uh, involve somebody, I always do a background check. Um, and honestly, it's, it's, it's less about making sure that they're not, you know, have a sordid past or whatever. Like, I mean, obviously, hopefully they would, you know, tell you anything like that anyways, but even more with working with students um, and, and kids, especially, it, it gives so much validity to your ministry for you to be able to present to parents. Hey, all of our volunteers have been background checked. Um, that statement alone that gives you so much leverage with, with parents like that, that shows them how much you care about their kids. And if you ever dealt with parents, you know, they, they want to know that you care about their kids. Um, and if you can say that you have background checked, uh, and that you've done a vetting process, that means the world, uh, to them on a, on a tangible level. And, and that will then give you the, the groundwork to, uh, to, to do more spiritual things with them and, and to lead them in ministry. Yeah. And do you, when, and that that's great too. Um, you know, do you do you have an application with like references and stuff you actually make people fill out, or is it just kind of word of mouth? I know this person, or so and so recommended them. Because I know you're having people bring their friends in and stuff, so that's kind of a of a reference. But do you check references? Do you do an application? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. There's an application, and yeah, it, when when a volunteer brings another potential volunteer, that already sets you off in the right direction because they come pre-referenced, which is, yeah. is wonderful. It's not some random person that you've never met. Um, it's that like TSA 
pre-check or something. Exactly. <laughs> Without the lines. Uh, one, one thing that we've done at the, the church that I've been uh, recently, they, they call it a 360 um, on anybody who's going to take a volunteer role. So they'll actually send out an email to the entire church staff and say, hey, these you know three or four at a time, these people are interested in being involved in ministry. Do you know anything about them? Have you heard anything about them? Um, and it, it, that kind of almost sounds a little creeperish, but it, it, it gives the opportunity for other people who may have interacted with them in a different ministry or a different time of their life um, to speak into, um, you know, yes, this person's a great fit or no, they're not. Um, by and large, those conversations are usually really, really good. It's usually, yes, I'm jealous. Why? How'd you get them to volunteer with you? And I wanted them to volunteer in my ministry. And so um, I, I think the background check is very important uh, for the safety of the kids uh, and of anybody, um, and, but then also references. Um, and, and honestly, Seth, it's not even a, uh, a safety thing with the references. It can, it can be simply, what's the best fit for this person? They want to volunteer to do uh, a small group, but they're, they're really a better fit for doing check-in. Or they want to volunteer to do check-in, but did you know that they could sing? No, they never told me they can sing. Why aren't they with the worship team? And you know, a lot of those references can get you to a place of finding somebody's sweet spot, not just filling a role, but being somewhere where they're using their gifts, their talents, their abilities in the best way possible to impact ministry. Yeah, I like that. And I like that you, you kind of make that more of a positive thing too, because we often think of vetting a volunteer as like, let's just find out everything we can to make sure they haven't done anything terrible you sure. know, in the event that somehow we have this illusion that we're going to, we can maybe even prevent them from doing anything else terrible that we, you know, somehow feel better about that. Cause honestly, crazy is crazy. They'll come do it. You know, they can find a way sometimes, sure. um, you know, cause I know when I have a volunteer, I would always, I'd get on their social media sites. I'd ask their friends. I'd find out as much as I could about that person. I do uh, the background check and all that stuff too. But you mentioned something too, you know, the different, volunteers in different ministries, is there some kind of system that you have that, you know, your whole staff can go into and maybe upload all the people that are on your team so that you don't keep asking the same group of people to volunteer in every ministry? Yeah, there's uh, there's several different uh, tools like that, that that I've used in the past. Fellowship One is a really good tool that uh, that you can use for tracking and um, note sharing, I guess, uh, for for um, attendees and potential volunteers. Um, we've also used uh, ACS uh, as well, and they have a very similar process. That's really helpful, especially across ministries, for uh, different people to be involved and see the checks and the the comments and and be able to follow up appropriately. Yeah. I- the last church I was at, we used ACS, and, and gosh, it was a beating. But they, <laughs> it really was, man. It was so hard to use. But they've upgraded to something called the Realm, R E A L M. That and sounds like something you would use. Yeah, it sounds very like medieval, <laughs> and like there's castles, and you got to like storm the War. castle, and fight the dragons and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I'm totally into this. No, it's 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 a lot more user friendly, that's for sure. But it's basically still ACS on the inside. Um, they just added some apps and things like that. But anyway, they have these little markers that you can select people that are volunteering in certain ministries. And man, I'll tell you, it's that old 80, 20 rule of 20% of the people doing 80% of the work is, is, you know, or 20% of the people doing hundred percent of the work, uh, is, is kind of true. You know, it's in volunteering. It's something that leaders, I think we have, we get so excited. They're volunteering for us that we kind of forget that step of, Let's make sure this is a good fit. Let's make sure right. this person's in the right spot because they're going to get burned out and I'm going to have to do this again in a year if it's not. 
So yeah, that's that's a that's a, a good question uh, to include on an application or in a first conversation. Where else are you volunteering? Yeah, because I have very not rarely, but um, you'd be surprised how many volunteers get involved in a ministry that are already volunteering in another ministry. Now, not to say that that's not something that they're capable of doing, but um, it definitely shows you how how thin people spread themselves. And hopefully that's that's born out of a, a passion for wanting to be involved in as much ministry as they can. But you as the ministry leader, obviously your, your ability to use them, not use them in ministry, but to place them in ministry is only going to go so far as their ability and to create, to allow for margin in their life. Yeah. And, and that leads us right into, you know, the next step of, of volunteers is we, first we got to recruit, then we uh, can vet them. But there's an onboarding process before we even start really training. So the the onboarding process, you know, that leads into the training process, which is kind of the same thing. What what does your process look like once a new like I'm a new volunteer, I'm here. What do I do? What's the first? What's the first? Once we've gotten past all the paperwork and the vetting and all that, what what's next? Well, once we prove you're not crazy, we need to prove you're a little bit crazy. Uh, <laughs> for students, yes. To, for that's students, good. you absolutely have to be just, just a tad, just, just enough. Ha- you hand them a bug and say, eat this and see what happens. <laughs> no, we make a fart sound and see how they respond. And <gasps> if it's anything fart. other than laughter, then they can leave. No. Um, <laughs> no the, the, uh, you know, and outside of the, hopefully before you get to a vetting process, you don't uh, expend a lot of that energy before knowing that they actually want to be involved in the ministry. So um, hopefully they've already had a little bit of a taste. Um, supervised uh, would be best, uh, but it'd be able, the ability to see what happens in your ministry. So if it's a small group, if it's a large group thing, if it's a, an event that they're going to be involved in, um, they get a little bit of a taste. But for me, the the best onboard uh, process, the best on ramp. Um, is is not me showing them around. It's me connecting them with someone else. Uh, not because uh, I'm too good for that, but because I'm not good enough for that. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm not the expert when it comes to any of the volunteer roles. Um, I do other things. And our volunteers in every ministry I've been in, they're the experts. Um, so I, my, my goal with a new volunteer is to get them plugged in with someone who can really answer their questions and can give them real life uh, examples of last week I did this and today this is what this looks like and this is how it feels. Because um, I think a lot of times when people get involved volunteering, they don't have, have any idea how many questions they're going to have until they f- hit the ground. Once they hit there, it's like, oh, okay, now I have 400 questions. Yeah. Where at the, during the vetting process it was like no I'm good and then and then they get there and they go oh I have many many questions and yeah it's so like that, that that time somebody goes all right do you have any questions for me and you're like oh wait I didn't know you were going to ask me that I didn't I, know. I, I wasn't prepared I don't know maybe um, I can't think of anything right now and as soon as you get in the car you have like, all the questions oh man yeah man I should have asked this two or three of these questions yeah that's yeah. So that's frustrating that's the best thing I've done uh, is to get them connect get new volunteers connected with seasoned volunteers um, and that, that goes with training as well which I think is the next thing. That you mentioned was um, was the the training process for a new volunteer. I am not a good small group leader. I have tried. I think I used to be. Me either, and I don't, man. I don't know why. I'm so bad at it. I tried two years ago uh, to lead a small group. We had, of course, a, a need-based situation um, because I didn't cast vision ahead of time, um, which is where I learned that I needed to cast vision ahead of time. I took a small group, and I was terrible at it. I was, it was just bad. Like the the the. High school pastor small group was the smallest one because I was just bad. It was so bad. Yeah, I, um, I was totally the same way. I came into a new situation in my last church, and they were like, the last guy took a small group. And I was like, well, I already knew that about myself. I'm not good at it. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> They're like, you're not going to take a small group? I'm like, no. 
that's not what I'm good at. I would be awful. Yeah. And I would, I was, you know, I'd step in and fill in here and there, but yeah, I, I knew that was not my strength. And, you know, I got a lot of evidence for it built up over the years. Well, so if you don't, you don't want me or you uh, instructing you on how to be a small group leader. Um, I can tell you all about all about the vision and why we do small groups and and mm-hmm. why it's important and the value that comes from. I can give you all that kind of stuff because I love small groups. But as far as the practical, this is how you do it and this is how you handle situations. There's 30 people in this ministry that do it better than me. Why would I be the one who has to tell you that information when they are going to do a much better job? They're the expert. Yeah, it's like um, Andy Stanley. Had, it's like Andy Stanley says. You know, if if you're you're the leader, a lot of times not because you're the smartest in the room, but because you just got there first. Yeah. <laughs> so I, that's that's one of the things that I've seen is successful in training. Because um, there have been times when I did do all that training, and I was the I was the voice, and I was the one, and it was because I'm the ministry leader. So I thought, you know, I'm the one who's supposed to say all the words, and that. <laughs> Yeah. That just leaves them with more questions that other people have to go then answer and clean up later. Do you uh, do you give them anything at the beginning? Like here's a here's a mission statement, here's your job description, here's what I expect of you. Anything like that you give them, even if it's like here's a paper, read it or anything like that? Sure. Well there's a we we've used different pack that that kind of stuff kind of morphs over time. The longer I've been in ministry, the more uh options there have been for those things because I think it, it, it tends to shift seasonally. Um but the biggest thing that I try to put in front of volunteers as they're starting is the vision. Um and and I really my you know, my hope is that in everything they're doing, whether it's leading a small group or helping with check-in or leading worship or running sound or whatever. And, and what I love about student ministry is it is a microcosm of the church. It is churchception. It's a little church inside the big church. Yeah. Um, and so anything that happens in student ministry also happens in, in the larger larger uh, version of the church. Um, and so anything that happens, any volunteer role, I want it to be connected to the vision. And I should be able to very clearly connect that connect those dots for the volunteer. And that's my biggest thing that I want to do for them. So they don't ever see their role as, well, I'm just doing this because I'm supposed to. I'm just doing this because I have to. I'm just doing it because this. if I don't push this button, this fader up, then it'll sound weird. And that, that has very little to do with vision. It has, anything you can do to connect what a volunteer is doing in ministry with the vision of the ministry, you're going to have a sustained joy in that role. And yeah. they're going to look, they're going to see ways that they're making an impact far more than if you walk by and say, thanks, <laughs> which is great. You should do that. But, um, the, the more, the more you can connect them with vision, the better it's going to be. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, I know that you and I both have always had this, we kind of do this ongoing spot training here and there, but it's always connected to that. Here's why you're doing what you're doing. Here is yep. what you here's the part you play. Like yeah, you're raising the fader, but if you don't do that, then it distracts everyone and they can't hear the word of God preached or or you know something like that. They yeah. we always connected it to here's why you're doing this. Because I think that links to that vision, you know, why am I why is this important? Well, it's because it helps us to accomplish what we're all on the same page about, you know, trying yeah. to get these students or these children or these people, you know, that we're, we're teaching or whatever to hear the gospel clearly and accept it. I mean, that's ultimately what we want. We want them to yeah. accept it and then we want them to grow. And, you know, we want to provide those environments. And sometimes your, con- your contribution to someone's salvation is, you know, the proper mood lighting. <laughs> which right. is really weird to say. And some people might even go, nope, nope, that's, you totally <laughs> missed it. But some people need that, man. Just because you're wired, not wired that way doesn't mean somebody else isn't. You know, for me, when I see a sure. great, you know, a great production happen in church, some people go, oh, it's a big show. For me, I'm like, oh, man, this is so great. Look how these people are using their talents for the Lord. It really resonates with me. 
when you, when you get the words wrong on the screen, I'm like, Oh gosh, come on guys. You know, it just <laughs> takes me right out of it. And maybe that's yeah. just me being a butthead, but you know, I, I kind of, I care about that stuff. Well, you are. Yeah, I, am. I, I know I am. I do tend to lean that direction. No, well, I mean, here's the, the truth about, and this is getting more into programming, but the truth about it is, you know, we live in a very programmed world and uh, it, not that there's a comparison on our end with the uh, the relevancy of the gospel versus the relevancy of anything they see on TV, but they catch the difference and they see the effort yeah. being different. If it's not, It's not this needs to be as good as that because we want it to be as good as that. It's because that's their bar. And someone who's coming in not knowing the gospel is going to go, well, they don't care about this enough to put effort into it to make it look good. Then it must not have much value. And yeah. that's the exact opposite of what we want people to know. So. Yeah, and it's it's really subtle. It's like a saltwater fish being thrown into freshwater. It's like you don't really know why, it, but it's wrong. You know, something's <laughs> just wrong, and yeah. I don't like it, and it makes me want to leave. So, uh, yeah, that's great stuff. Um, so we continue training on the way, but let's talk about when it gets tough. Yeah. You know, when you go, okay, this person is not a fit for this ministry, or they've done something that just they got to go, or, or whatever reason, when we have to let a volunteer let's let's say release them you know to be nice and yeah. churchy about it we have to release them to better <laughs> things now we got to fire them when we got to fire somebody or we got to move somebody or we got to transfer somebody what's been your like what do you see as like okay it's time and then how do you go about doing that well um some of that is you know based on the specific situation um or it can be i always look at those things and and uh it should never be a surprise to the volunteer um, I think if, if they're surprised by the conversation, then you've not done a good job. And you being me, because I've been in that situation. Agreed. Um, they, they shouldn't see that as, oh, what? I'm, I'm, I need to leave? That's, that's, this is strange and new information. Um, hopefully there's a process of, of conversations that lead to the point of, of that decision being made. It's not uh, just randomly pulling them aside and saying, hey, it's time for you to go, um, which please don't do that. <laughs> yeah. If you're in a position where you, you're, you're sensing that, uh, don't handle it that way because it's not going to go well. Um, I, I think some of it goes back to training. Um, hopefully you're clearly presenting what your expectations are for your volunteers. Um, and I think there's a lot of situations where you may feel um, this person's got to go and it's, there's simply a miscommunication or a uh, misaligned expectation uh, on one or both of your parts that, that they, they don't know what they're supposed to be doing or you haven't been clear about what they're supposed to be doing. And a lot of times a conversation like that, as hard as it could be to have, We'll, we'll redirect the ship. It will get things going back where they should be, and you can avoid a lot of the hurt that can come from releasing. Um, there are other times when it's, it's just time, and hopefully, again, you've had those conversations in advance, and they know that there are th- some things that are not being met that should be or whatever the situation is. Um, and then there's, of course, the, the, the uh, hopefully the outliers of um, this person uh, you know, suggested an overnight thing. Everybody gets on the roof and shoots off fireworks. And <laughs> you have to go, look, we can't trust you around kids. Cause I, don't, I don't see anything wrong with that. I don't know yes. what the problem is. Well, we'll talk later. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I don't do student ministry anymore. You should not be leading a small group. Um, <laughs> So when those conversations happen, I would I would say you know in the in the times I've had to do it, one it shouldn't come as a surprise. If it does, then that's a multiple conversation situation, uh, and two don't do it alone. Um, there are so many things that can be miscommunicated, misheard, misinterpreted, um, and then 
unverified when uh, when there's only two people in the room. Um, I would always recommend if it's another staff member, uh, if you have a, a volunteer, especially if it, if you if you have a uh, a cross gender. Um, release that you have to have, you know, if, as you as the, as the ministry leader or a male and you have a, a female leader that has to be released, don't do that alone. I would, I never do that. I never have a closed door meeting with a, with a female anyways. Um, but I would always have a third party there, uh, to verify. And, and that helps you as the ministry leader, not just, uh, yes, this is what I said, but you can actually, after that conversation, you can go back to them and go, Hey, Say back to me the things that I said. Is this? Did I say it right? Did I? How did I handle that appropriately? And you can learn how to do those things better um, in the future by having a third party uh, there and involved. And the last thing I think with with releasing volunteers is hopefully, prayerfully, you're able to actually release volunteers to do other ministry, um, unless it's the firework on the roof situation. Um, hopefully, there's a there's a way you go look here's A, B, and C, why this is not a good fit for you anymore. But I have noticed over the time that you've been here, X, Y, and Z. And X, Y, and Z, really, that shows me you'd be a really good fit in this ministry, in this area, with this person. And hopefully you can have one of those conversations. That's always, in my mind, the goal is not to say you are you shouldn't be volunteering anywhere. It's this isn't the best place, and let's find the best place for you. Yeah, and I think that's important, the goal being more along the lines of redemption, you know, as Jesus would have had it. You know, like, what can I—okay, this isn't working. What can we do to make this better? Yeah. How can I redistribute this person, if you want to use a business term? You know, what <laughs> What can we do to say, okay, this isn't working, but we might have something else that is. And, and I think a lot of times as leaders, we kind of focus, we have our problem. Our problem is you don't work. So we're going to fix that problem without thinking, okay, I got to think about them. I have to have their best interest at heart. I need to try to redeem this time that they've spent here. And, and one of the ways I can redeem that is by remembering what I've seen, you know, just remembering what are they good at and how can they work somewhere else. And, or it could be something where it, because they've worked here for so long, it's like, man, this guy does not need to volunteer anywhere. So <laughs> you, you can go that direction too, obviously. But if at all possible, you know, it's, it's something that I've always, man, I had a volunteer I had to release at, at a church. And um, honestly, the, you know, I had staff members and parents telling me I need to release this, get rid of this small group leader. And I just thought, I don't really think he's doing that bad of a job, but I really haven't talked to him much about it. And so under a lot of pressure, I went to this guy alone at lunch and said, hey, it's not working out. And I just let him go. And man, everything that happened after that just, it made me feel terrible. You know, like I have, I failed here. And, you know, it it was all those lessons. Like, first of all, just, I didn't have enough conversation with him before. It was a surprise. Mm -hmm. And that's what got my attention. He's like, whoa, what, what's going on? You know? And I'm like, oh my gosh, he doesn't even know. He doesn't have a clue. You know, that's on me. And I knew it right then as I was saying it. And I just like, man, this is a bad thing. This is going to be bad. And and then, you know, I get back and realize I went alone and that it's my word now against his or whatever said was happening, you know, and nothing really bad came of it, but they left the church over it. I mean, they were kind of already on the way out the door anyway. That was part of the problem. They weren't ever coming. But still, you know, it it was one of those things that we could have redeemed that. He He was a good leader. If he would just show up and be responsible and do the things he's supposed to do, yeah. you know, and that was my bad. I didn't train him well. And, and so what you're saying, man, it's totally hits home with me. I, I get it. I, I think, think it definitely, it comes back to training. A, a, a lot of it comes back to training. And you mentioned spot, spot training. Mm-hmm. Um, when I've done that, you know, it's, it's less about, let me look for things that are going wrong and more about, let me look for things that are going right. 
um, you know, as, as humans, what gets rewarded in our eyes gets repeated by us. Yeah. Um, so the more, the more you can lift out, um, Hey, I was walking by the small group and they did this. Wow. What a great job. Or, you know, anytime you can give attention to somebody, um, positive attention, that that's a, that's a great way to, uh, solidify and, and present the vision and the expectations. And hopefully, uh, the more you're doing that and less you have to point out the negative things, um, the, the less opportunities you're going to have to have to, to release people because they're clearly seeing on a regular basis what the expectations are and that other people are meeting them. Yeah. And, and actually, we used to do something together when we worked together um, that I really loved. It was the three by three evaluation. We'd go sit in a small group and at the end, we'd meet with the leader and say, here are three things I thought you did that were great. And here are three things you might want to work on. Yep. And it was always so helpful. And we just do that randomly throughout the year. I mean, we, sometimes I, I would tell them I'm coming. Sometimes I wouldn't. I just drop in and go, hey, I'm going to sit down. You know, and I think with any ministry, you can always kind of use that three by three um, kind of method or, or something, whatever you want to do. But just keep keep thinking about what's going on. I know a lot of places do a debrief after every service. I think that's healthy. But with your volunteers, as soon as you're done, like with a service and you're in there with all your tech volunteers or Mm -hmm. your worship team hasn't finished packing up yet, like, hey, guys, come here for a second. I want to talk about some things. Or you just go over to the guitar player and go, hey, man, I wanted to tell you that these three things were awesome today. But if you could stop doing these other three things, that'd be awesome, you know, or whatever, you know, and just after it's done. So you have some context, you have some time to think and pray about it. I think that's wise, you know, and I think a lot of ministries just give the the expectations up front and then are done with it, you know, and they just don't talk about it anymore. And then when something goes wrong, like what happened? Like, well, you kind of have to keep reminding people of stuff or they're going to get in their own rhythm and and do their own things. So I think it's great. I heard uh, recently, I think it was on Twitter, because um, you can hear things on Twitter. I read something on Twitter uh, recently that um, a successful uh, pastor of students will become a pastor of volunteers. Um, I think the more you do in ministry, the more time you spend in ministry, the more effort you put in ministry, um, you should see your role uh, adjusting to building into volunteers and caring about volunteers and shepherding volunteers. Um, and that was hard for me. I know uh, getting into a, a large church uh, in, in Dallas, um, as a young guy, I got into ministry because I wanted to do ministry. I wanted to be actively involved with students um, and to shift or adjust my focus to caring for volunteers. Uh, it took a little bit of time to, to see how valuable that is. But there's, it's amazing to see what can happen when you take your passion as a leader for ministry and invest that into two, four, a dozen other adults and, and see your passion replicated into them and see the impact they can have. There's nothing in the world like it. And um, it, it's, I, I think it's the best way to spend your time. It's never wasted time uh, to invest in volunteers. Yeah, that's a good word, man. That's that's awesome. Tell us uh, as we wrap up here, just uh, how can people connect with you online? What are you doing right now? I know you've launched a few interesting things. So tell us how we can get in touch with you online. Yeah, um, I'm on a Reader's Digest. <laughs> oh, gosh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Goes um, for I, it every I, time, <laughs> every one of them. <laughs> Okay. Sorry, that one was way too easy. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm on the internet. I use the internet sometimes. Um, I've got a, a website that I, I started called creativestudentministry.com, um, and I've got a, a podcast uh, that kind of goes through there uh, called the Creative Student Ministry Podcast. It's on iTunes uh, as well. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm there. I've got the Twitter stuff and um, the email and all, all those things, all those internet things. <laughs> the email? Do you also yeah. have the Facebook? And I have the I have the Facebooks. <laughs> 
the yes. the, the insta insta wears instagrams i have i they start they, they want to call it insta and i call it gramming so let's, let's get on the gram and people look at me like i'm crazy and usually they're right yeah that's an appropriate look <laughs> all right well man thank you so much for this was so great this is such great content I, i'm i'm really excited about this podcast thank you for being on it man absolutely my pleasure thanks for doing what you're doing i know that uh you have a wealth of information and knowledge uh and it's it's great to to hear you uh spreading that through the internets spreading it like butter man <laughs> see i go for them too all right it's time for my favorite segment of all the podcasts called five on the spot where i ask oh, Walton, yeah. michael wallace five random questions that he has not prepared for you told me that was coming and i completely forgot now i'm, I'm even less prepared than i was before yeah, which dude, was this zero is the, this is the two out of the one two punch <laughs> okay all right? here we go five questions on the spot with michael wallace question one are killer whales just misunderstood no, killer whales are not misunderstood. They are completely understood. Their name is killer whales. They told us that years ago. Prove it. There's people that have died. Okay, that's a good point. All right. Actually, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> I don't know. Why are they called killer whales? I don't know. They just look sinister. Yeah. They, sh- they should be called sinister whales. Do, do the killer whales kill other whales? Are there, are there people who are killer whale killers? I have no idea, man. I know there are people that kill killer whales. Ah, uh-huh, yeah. There you go. The killer whale killers. All right. Question two. What is the point of a bayonet? The point of a bayonet. See, now you're going to get me singing Hamilton, and that's not a good thing on a, on a uh, Jesus blog. Um, no, it's not. The, see, uh, yeah. I'm going to start, I'm gonna start uh, uh, rapping, and that's definitely not good. Oh, please uh, do that. The point, the point of a bayonet is the end that you keep away from you. You, you point that end away from you. That's sorry, no, sorry, that's incorrect. It is to bring a knife to a gunfight. Uh, that's, Question that's a whole different <laughs> <laughs> Question three. Question three. If North Carolina is so great, then why don't you marry it? Question four. What's a better town? <laughs> I don't get to answer that one. <laughs> Hey, I just said I was going to ask you five questions. Oh, okay. No, right. you don't get five answers? Okay, perfect. <laughs> All right, question four. What is a better town, downtown or stupid town? Oh, 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 Jason Smith, Stupid Town is the best town. Um, oh, man, that's too much story to tell in one podcast. But yep. um, if Jason Smith happens to listen to this, you, you, we have to say, welcome to Stupid Town. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That'll definitely be a drop. That's gonna, <laughs> I'm going to cut that out. It's going to be a drop for you. Mark. <laughs> yes. Oh, all the inside jokes that we used to have. That's I terrible. don't miss them at all. I apologize to all the people listening. You have no idea how silly we're being. Actually, you know how silly, but yeah. you don't know why. If you've been in youth ministry, you know, just nod, smile, and act like you understood <laughs> it because the moment will pass. All right, question five. How many Twinkies do you really think you could eat in a minute? In a minute? Mm-hmm. Six. Six Twinkies in a minute. I think I could do a half dozen. All right. This is your maybe, task, maybe, then. Maybe a baker's half dozen. A baker's half dozen. <laughs> is that a thing? I don't know. It's either six and a half or seven. I'm not sure. <laughs> I can't re- I know 13 is a baker's dozen. Yeah, so I don't know what a baker's half dozen would be. Maybe six and a half. Maybe six and a half. We'll go That's six. probably true. I so feel six like and I a half. The, baker, the baker's portion in as well. All right. I think you owe everybody a video on this to post of you eating six and a half Twinkies in a minute. I have to go to Target and tell them I want to buy a half a Twinkie? Yeah. I don't think they're going to let me do that. <laughs> yeah. That's what you got to do. You got to video that too. Okay. <laughs> and you also have to find out where they keep the mayonnaise pants. <laughs> oh. Those videos are amazing. Anyway, mayonnaise, okay. Mayonnaise pants are cheap. Mayonnaise pants. 
All right, Michael, thank you so much for being on the podcast, man. That, it was so fun. Uh, it was good to talk to you. Good to hear from you again. And I'm just excited about what God's doing in your life, too. Um, Thanks, buddy. A lot of good stuff happening. So you guys go check him out. Go to his website. Go check out this podcast. And uh, I will put those links in the show notes. The show notes for this are sethmuse.com slash episode nine. I want to make sure I got that number right. Episode nine. So uh, there's no dash or anything. It's just episode nine altogether. And uh, you can get all these links. I'll put stuff up for you guys to uh, to f- some of these places and his stuff that you can connect there. All right. Well, Michael, thank you so much. And everybody, thanks for listening. The Seminary Hard Knocks podcast is out. See you in a couple weeks. Also, don't forget that just yesterday, I released a checklist for best practices in writing mass church emails. If you send out emails on a regular basis to your congregation, you might have the same problem many people have. They get it, but they don't open it. Or they open it, and they don't read it. And they don't know what's going on, and it's absolutely frustrating. Part of it, though, is not that the email isn't valuable information. It's that we've done some things that make it... Uh, kind of blend in with the rest of the inbox. We live in a very noisy digital world. So I've given you this checklist of some of the best ways to optimize your email so that it gets more opens and read and clicked more so that your people can know what's going on in your church. I'm going to put that link in the show notes so you can get to that as well. And I want to give you that absolutely free. And don't forget sethmuse.com. Check out the blog. It's You can actually link to it there. It's this week's blog. So thanks for listening, you guys. We'll see you back in a few weeks. Thank <laughs> you.